0: With that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we need you. And as we trust you with the big galaxy-shaping things of presenting and providing and keeping your word in Jesus Christ, we are reminded that he came when the time was full at the perfect time, that at one point in a moment, 2,000 years ago, that galaxy-shaping thing that you did was a day-to-day operation. As Jesus grew in the very womb of Mary, as he grew in this world for 30 years, He came not simply to, to be born, but he came to die and to pay for our sin debt. He came to be raised again. He came as the fulfillment, fulfillment of what we see in Genesis 3, which we'll look at. And so we just, we just praise you, Lord, that uh, those galaxy-shaping things you do, you do with people. And the galaxy-shaping thing you did, certainly with, with Jesus, uh, uh, happened at a point in time and is a real fact in history. And we rejoice with that. So help us this Advent season to, to uh, respect and to celebrate that while you do great and big things, you do them in time for us and in us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we turn to Genesis 15, we're going to uh, we're gonna jump right in and uh, we're going to let the, the, the text uh, really help us uh, understand the Christmas season. Here's a reminder that two weeks ago, we looked back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember that? And in Genesis chapter 3, we found out some really important things about Christmas, all right. We, we found out that there was going to be... Remember, Genesis chapter 3 is the story where sin enters into the world and God says, even though your sin demands a payment, that is death, what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you grace rather than death, even though you sinned. And God showed himself right off the bat, gracious when he said, you know, I'm actually going to send one who's going to destroy the enemy. He's going to crush the head of the evil one. And we know from Genesis chapter 3 that he's going to be a male and that he is going to be an offspring of the woman. So that's amazing. Right off the bat, we got Christmas promises in Genesis chapter 3. The word offspring there, we've been saying it's a collective singular, which means at various points, offspring means nations. It can mean lots and lots and lots of people. It can mean everybody who puts their faith and trust in Christ. It can mean everybody who is of the line of Abraham who is Jewish. Or it can mean a singular, meaning it can mean Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Adam who crushed the head of the evil one. And again, all of that is back in Genesis. And we were reminded, Genesis, the Old Testament is not some story of like uh, an angry God, and then he becomes a different, nicer God in the New Testament. We're reminded that across the board, God has been gracious and kind to us, okay? Last week, we were reminded in Genesis chapter 12, we found out some more clues about Christmas. And in those clues about Christmas, we found out that uh, Abram was going to be the one that God was going to bless the world through, that Abram uh, will be a great nation, and that God will make of Abram a great nation, and that the whole earth would be blessed through Abram, and that Abram's offspring, there's that word again, Abram's offspring will inherit this land that God is Promising to Abram, okay. So we are seeing again these really big picture things that God is doing, and uh, and so now we come to Genesis chapter fifteen. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And so, first things first, when you see the phrase "after these things," we want to try to figure out well, okay, what's been happening since last we studied Abram. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that real quick. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram had uh, uh, just gotten the promise, he'd just gotten the call from from God, and what happens is that there's a famine in the land. And so, if you can imagine this situation where God says, well, I promise that through you, I'm going to provide offspring that's going to be a blessing to the world, okay? And the next thing that happens is there's a famine. And so Abram and Sarai, they have to leave this land that they just were promised, and they have to go and live in Egypt for a while. So right off the bat, there's a little bit of discouragement. Have you ever had that happen where you think something great, great is about to happen, and then it turns out, well, this isn't so great. We have an immediate detour. And so this immediate detour in Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai find themselves in the middle of a famine, and they have to go to Egypt so that they can eat. Then Genesis chapter 13 comes. And and what had happened, if you remember, again, last week, we found out that when Abram was traveling, this this nephew of his named Lot was going to travel with him. And the phrase we heard last week was that uh, Lot was going to represent a future challenge. You have someone like that in your life been traveling along with you and you're finding out, oh, that's a challenge. This person traveling with me is making my life a challenge, right? And so that's what happened: is they, this whole group of people come out of Egypt and they've got more possessions than they've ever had after being there because of the famine and they get back to the land that God has promised and what happens is all these people are fighting. They're arguing back and forth and so Abram's, you know, group is fighting with Lot's group, and finally they look at each other, and Abram said, this isn't good, let's let's just, let's separate, and you choose which way you go, and I'll go the other way, and so if you remember, Lot says, well, I'll take the, I'll take this valley, and Abram says, fine, I'll go the other way, all right, so they separate, they can't work it out, and now, uh, we we won't look closely at it, but in Genesis 14, And this, I think, is the immediate reference to this phrase in our passage today, which says, after these things. Here's what happened. The the, the after these things that we're talking about was a skirmish, a battle. So if you remember, what happened was Lot, he chose this beautiful valley to live in, and he went to live in Sodom. Now, Sodom, obviously, is is very famous for some very negative things, but we're not going to talk about the negative things here. What we are going to talk about is that Sodom was taken captive in a battle. And so these five kings are against these other four kings. And long story short, Genesis chapter 14, Lot gets carried off, and he is now a prisoner. He's basically a prisoner of war. And so the word comes back to Abram, hey, guess what? Your your nephew that caused all that problem that caused all the fighting caused all the situation that separated from you he's now he's a prisoner of war. So Abram's like, ah, all right. So he gets his trained guys together, and, and the trained guys go out, and they find where uh, the the prisoners are being kept, and there, a, a skirmish ensues, and God delivers the the enemy into Abram's hand, and Abram takes all of these people back to their rightful cities. So Lot goes back to Sodom. Everybody goes back to where they belong to. They have this amazing moment where they're in the Valley of Kings. I want you to think about this epic movie, and the war is over, and Abram is standing there, and here they are in the Valley of Kings. And these, these kings come to Abram and say, well, I mean, man, you won the war, so here's all the, you can take all of the possessions, you get all the stuff, if we could just have our city back, and we could have our people back, that's all we want, and Abram says, look, no way, keep all your stuff, I I am going to, the people that went to help me with the war, reward them, but I don't want you to ever think for a minute that I'm wealthy because of what you gave me as a result of this war, I'm not taking anything, and in fact, not only am I not taking any of that, I am going to tithe from the spoils of war. I'm going I'm to give a gift, represent recognizing that God gave me the war, that God gave me victory here, okay? And so here Abraham gives a tenth of all that he has, and he got nothing from the, the battle. He gives a tenth of all he has and says, okay, I'm going to give this to the Lord at this moment. So that is the immediate reference to Genesis chapter 15, after these things. got to have a promise from you that you are going to provide an offspring. And since I got that promise, in the years since I've got that promise, here's what I've experienced. I've experienced famine, and I've experienced relational problems in my family that we could not work out. And I've experienced a battle, a skirmish that I would never have chosen in a million years. I just, I've experienced a lot of troubles, okay? And what I don't have is the fruit of what you promised that I would have. And so in Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. It's, it's an amazing thing. To think that after that battle, that God saw that Abram was going to need some encouragement. In my mind, I've got Abram sitting in whatever his tent or his little living room looked like. And we'll see, you'll see why I think that in just a minute, but that's where I think he is. I don't know if he had a coffee table. I don't know if he had coffee. But I do know this He's, he's sitting down after this war and he's reexamining things and he is not in a good place in his mind. And the word of the Lord comes to Abram. It's really interesting, that phrase. You know that that phrase is only used of, of prophets in the Old Testament. It's very, the word of the Lord doesn't just come to everyone. Now we have the word of the Lord to us and it is completed, so here we have it in our hands, and, and we can go to the word of the Lord and, and read it. And, and in this case, they didn't have it written down, but so what Abram had was uh, this vision, and even a vision was a statement that basically Abram was like a prophet. If you, look, if you want to examine it later, in Genesis chapter 20, Abram is called a prophet. So we have him in the Valley of Kings working out working out basically the uh, spoils of war here Abram's considered a king and we have Abram considered a prophet as he in Genesis chapter 15 is about to tell what what's going to happen to God's people And there if you read through the entire chapter we find out that he tells them that they're going to be held captive in Egypt for 400 years he is doing the work of a prophet and we have him later uh, taking care of the needs of the people like a priest. And so I say all that to say I don't want us to miss things like that when we come to these scriptures, that, that Abram is like a symbol here. And it's, it's just a little, little uh, echo of who Jesus is going to be as Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king for you and for me. But there's just an echo of that in Abram's role here in Genesis chapter 15 as he is a little prophet, priest, and kingly. After these things, the word of the Lord, like a prophet, comes to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Well, as I said, uh, I, I truly believe that Abram was in a rough place here and that God recognized it. And so the word of the Lord comes to encourage him. And the first thing he says to, the, to his little, his prophet here, fear not, do not be afraid. Well, here I am, by the way, let me just give you a little quick uh, timeline. Abram is like almost 85 years old. He's pretty old. And he's still waiting for God to make good in this promise, like I'm going to have offspring. And I don't know if you guys have any grandmas or grandpas that are 85 years old. I don't know if you have any moms or dads that are 85 years old. I don't know if you're 80 or 85 years old. But there are not too many 85-year-olds walking around expecting to hear in 2018 there's going to be more children involved. That's not good news for most people, right? And, and yet here he is going, look, I've got this promise from you. It's been years since I've got the promise, at least through a famine, at least through a war, at least through all that. It's been years. And if we would, let me just give you a little hint that in the future, something's yet to come. He's not going to get the fullness of this promise for another 15 years. Isaac doesn't come till he's a hundo. And here he is, 85 years old, and he's still waiting for God to, to make good in this promise. I wish I could tell you this Christmas that uh, if you just look to the word of the Lord and trust the word of the Lord, 2018 is going to be a great year for you. It might not be. I can't give you that a guarantee. I can tell you that God is always faithful. I can tell you that God is always good. But it is possible that you have been holding on to a promise and waiting for the fruit to that promise. And maybe this year you would, like we're going to see Abram in just a minute, you would have a complaint against the Lord. And it's possible it's not going to be 10 years, 12 years, 14 years till you see God deliver the fruit of his promise. The first things we see is we're going to honor God during this Advent season. We are going to believe him exclusively. We are going to turn to him exclusively. Okay? So uh, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And listen to what what God says to him. The Lord there is, uh, we're talking about the covenant-keeping, relational God. He says, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Do you ever have a famous person know your name? I mean, it's kind of fun when a famous person knows your name. A couple times in my life, I've been around a situation where that actually has transpired. Transpired where, uh, in a group of people, some person that that is greatly respected turns and says, "Well, John," and, and the, the people, "Oh, yo, he you know you. He you know you." One time in college, uh, Nikki went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. Now, Stephen Curtis Chapman. For those of you who have no idea who that is, is an old Christian music recording artist. I say old because Nikki and I went to a great concert by him about three months ago. We were the youngest people in the audience by like a generation. I mean, they, there was like, there was like, no, can I look around the room? There was like, you know, like th- those, those little scooter things or the hand cart things. There was like parking area for those things. at this conference. So we were young. All right. So anyway, back in college, Nikki went to Steve, Stephen Curry's Chapman. I'm sorry, I did not mean to offend you. Uh, <laughs> went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert, and uh, she was getting me his autograph. And so she said, well, "Could you fill this out? It's for John." And he said, "Joe." And she said, "No, no, John." And he said, "Jan." <laughs> no, John. All right. So she got him to fill out to John Stephen Curtis Chapman. But I feel that story makes me feel like, oh man, this, that famous person, he doesn't know my name. He doesn't care. He wrote it down correctly, right? But listen, the word of the Lord comes to Abram and look what God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the galaxy says to him, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Oh, I love that phrase. I've been, been really mulling on that phrase this week. In essence, he is saying, you know that battle that just took place in chapter 14? You know that skirmish that you didn't want to have any part of and you didn't choose? When there was trouble there, I was your protector. The word shield is a military term. It's a military term and it's saying, look, I... I was the one who protected you in the battle. You know what I love there? It does not say, hey, uh, Abram, don't you remember that I'm a shield over everyone who trusts me? It doesn't say I'm a shield, does it? It says, uh, I'm your shield. God knows your name. He knows your story. And I don't know what you just came through or what you are just coming through, but this I know for sure, that if God would get up in your face here this Christmas season, he would mention you by name, and he would refer to the exact situation that you just went through, and he would talk to you about how he was the resource that brought you through it. He is faithful. And here in this story, Abram, downcast, in his house, saddened by what's going on, wishing that he, we're going to see, he's going to bring these, these charges before the Lord in just a minute. And before he even has a time to bring up the issue of the hour on his heart, God says to him, I, I, uh, I know your name, Abram. I am your shield. And I want you to know something. Your reward will be very great. End of chapter 1 the end of verse 1 there, that's a future statement. You see that? The reward will be very great. And the reward is talking about a, a material blessing from following after him. Well, my friend, if we're going to believe God exclusively, what I mean by that is I consult him first and I scrutinize every other truth, every other truth claim. In the light of His Word, now that doesn't mean you don't have other places where you turn for truth. All right, so we all live life, and and uh, maybe you have a, uh, some kind of a, a hobby that you like to do, maybe or or something you need for your professional life. You went to med school, all right. So everything you learned in med school is not in the pages of Scripture. And so it's not wrong to learn information and true things outside the Scripture. When we say that we believe God exclusively, it doesn't mean we believe only, only the things that are written in the Bible. It means that we, we take everything we learn outside the Bible and bring it into the light of what the Scripture says. And so exclusively believing God doesn't mean that there's no other place where we learn in life. What it means is that we bring the Bible to bear on everything we learn in this life and to understand, does it it measure up and does it line up with what the Scripture teaches me? Believing God exclusively means I consult Him first and I scrutinize every other truth claim in the light of His Word. One of my favorite things Uh, uh, R.C. Sproul would regularly talk about living life coram Deo Coram Deo uh, is a Latin phrase of course and it means before the face of God that's how we live our life in fact somebody asked R.C. Sproul and said well what is the big picture of Christianity, what does that mean and he said it means it's it's coram Deo that we live every day before the face of God. He might have said it like this. We take every truth claim and we see it in the light of Scripture. We believe the Word of God as it comes to us. He's the exclusive. He says, I am the Lord. and So he's the exclusive place where we turn for, where we turn for truth. Now, it's interesting that the word of the Lord came to Abram. And we already talked about this idea that uh, the, the word of the Lord now, it doesn't come to us in that way. We don't necessarily have visions today. We don't have visions today where we get some new word of the Lord. We have the scriptures. And so the implication is that you and I need to consult the scriptures. You have this hard thing going on in your life, then you need to go to the scriptures and find out what the scriptures teach about that hard thing. Maybe you have anxiety in your life, and you need to understand the peace of God. Go to the scriptures. Maybe maybe you have a, a situation where you need more wisdom. Maybe ask of God and go to his word. In the two years after R.C. converted, excuse me, in the two weeks after R.C. Sproul converted to Jesus Christ, he was in college at the time. He was enrolled, it was the middle of the semester. And in the two weeks following his conversion, he read the scriptures cover to cover. Cover to cover. Two weeks while a full-time college student. And so I'm telling you, uh, we don't consult the scriptures enough. I'm telling you that I can grow in making God's word my exclusive source for understanding, living, and life. I can grab a hold of a promise better than I have it now as I approach God's word. I can obey God more fully than I am now as I give myself over to his word. Can you? Because, guys, that's what Christmas is, is all about. It's, it's coming to the Lord and saying, well, you are my exclusive place of truth. You are the Lord. You are the Lord God. Abram is described here, as we just talked about that as a, as a prophet, and as God comes, he says, fear not. He says, I am your shield. Again, a military uh, term, and that your reward will be very great. My, my friends, can I just remind you that there are some Christmas counterfeits in terms of the truth. Your recent disappointments that you didn't sign up for, if you are victorious, you could think that you did it. And if you are currently failing, you could think that God's not at the switch. That he doesn't care. That the promise that he made to you at one time is someplace out there in limbo land and you're just not going to get it. Right? Right? And so we come back to the scripture time and time again. Well, we honor God at Advent number two by believing him continuously. We believe him continuously. Verse two, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? He's saying, look, you, you should be giving me something. You should be giving me. And he wasn't talking about stuff. He he was talking about an heir. He was talking about an offspring. He was basically saying, Lord, I'm now ready for you to keep your promise. Do you remember years ago you made the promise? I'm ready for the fruit of that. I'm ready for you to give me, to to actually work it out and keep your promise to me. Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Well, as we look through this, um, verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, it's as if uh, that's the beginning of a prayer. As he kind of breathes a uh, sovereign Lord. I need help. And he starts this prayer to God and says, Lord, I, I need help. What will you give me? What will you give me? It's as if it's Christmas time for him and he's got a list for God. Here's my Christmas list to you. Abram said, Behold. And and, and so he, he's saying, God, look at this. Look at this. Do you see my situation? Do you see what I'm going through here? Well, what will you give me, he, he says. My life has been difficult. And again, I, I look back on these most recent years of my life and I see that I have had this famine and I see uh, that I've had this family conflict that could not be resolved at all unless we separated from one another. And I see that I have this situation where there was this battle that came into my life and I didn't want to do it and I wasn't trained for it and I went and did it anyway anyway. Man, life has just not been at all what I signed up for. And he gets to this point where he starts rehearsing all the things he does not have from God. Behold, he says, I do not have an offspring from you yet. Don't have it. Uh, It's really easy, isn't it? To start counting the things you don't have from God. Do you ever do that? Sometimes we do it and we didn't even mean to do it. There's this place in our soul that just is keeping track. And so we wouldn't want to admit it, but truth be known, if somebody were to call us on the carpet and start interviewing us about what we've been thinking about for the last 24 hours or the last 24 weeks or the last 24 months, the things that we've been thinking about is the things we don't have from God right now. It's interesting that Abram's response wasn't to look back at the famine and say, look how God saved me from the famine and provided for my, my family and took me through the hardest, the hardest physical days of my life when I was broke financially and had such difficulty and had to literally go somewhere else. He didn't see that God fed his family. It's interesting that when there was turmoil between he and his relatives, he didn't see that God worked it out and brought peace and that the separation brought him to a place where he, they could live together in the same place, and how God had then began to walk him around this land and said, this is going to be what I provide for you one day. He doesn't mention that. It could be that Abram wouldn't even be alive at this moment because he would have been defeated in this ridiculous skirmish that he didn't sign up for. The guy who beat him, his name is a good Wisconsin name, or the, the, the guy who beat everybody else, his name was Cheddar Lamer. Cheddar Lamer. Now I know that if I knew Hebrew better, I could pronounce it better. But I don't want to know Hebrew better. (laughs) I want to call him Cheddar Lamer. So Cheddar Lamer is this king that Abraham Abram has just beat, and Cheddar Lamer beat. He 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 took control of four four kings. He took them into his captivity. He was everything was going great. He, He it was a long drawn out war. It was a long time, and good old Cheddar Lamer is feeling good. And here comes Abram, who doesn't fight for a living, and God delivers Cheddar Lamer. Oh yeah, I'm saying it again. God delivers Cheddar Lamer into his hands. It's an incredible story, and Abram could have had this story as his story, dead in battle, Right? So Abram is rehearsing all the things he doesn't have from God, and he he doesn't see the things that he does have from God. Can we just stop there for a minute? This Christmas, I don't know what you have gone through in the last three months. I don't know what you have gone through in the last 12 months. I don't know what you've gone through, but this I can say for sure. If it's been financial trouble and a shortage of resources to feed your family, If you're here today, God's provided for you. It goes in the what I have from God category. And Maybe you're in the midst of some weird family dysfunction and you're fighting and you can't believe it because they say they're Christians and you say you're Christians and we all say we can work this out and it's weird and, and it's not at all what you thought it should be by this point. But here's what I can tell you today, as you sit here, God's been faithful to you to this point. He's been faithful. Maybe you're in a situation where there's just been this skirmish, this literal like physical uprising, and you're not trained for it, and you're really unsure of what to do next, but you know that God is pressing you into some service that you do not want to go into, but there's no way out. And can I just tell you, if you're here today, God's been faithful to this point for you. And Christmas really stinks when you count what you don't have from God instead of counting what you have from God. And so good old Abram says, God, have you seen this? Behold, it's a word that means take a moment and really look at this. Take a, just pause and look at me. I got the promise, and since I got the promise, I got nothing but trouble in my life, and I still don't have the offspring. Are you at that moment in your life with God? Disillusioned? I looked up the word disillusioned this week. Disappointed in someone or something that one discovers to be less good than one had believed. Is that what you're believing about God this Christmas? He's just, he's less good than you thought he was. No, he's not. He's not, but when we get disillusioned, and we have expectations for him that he has not told us to set. Be very, very careful this Christmas if you know generally what God is going to be accomplishing, but you don't know how. Be very careful. Because by human nature, we fill in the how we want God to do it. And then we get disillusioned when he doesn't do it that way. And then we think he's not good. Because he's not doing it the way we thought he would do it. And that's where Abram was. He was disillusioned. The cure is to stop looking for things that God has not promised. Stop expecting that he's going to do things your way and get back to the big picture. R.C. Sproul says this, no matter how much injustice I have suffered from the hands of other people, I have never suffered the slightest injustice from the hand of God. Oh, that is beautiful. Yes, we have experienced injustices. Yes, we have waited. But as Dr. Sproul would say it, no matter how much injustice we have suffered from the hands of other people, We have never suffered even the slightest injustice from the hands of God. So believing God continuously means that I choose to believe him at the beginning and at the end of every new day. At the beginning and at the end of every chapter of my life. God is good, my friends. He might just not be done yet. He's good. He's just not done yet. So be careful when those Christmas counterfeits come, come in. And we want to take a break for a season in believing, in believing God. Well, thirdly, we we honor God at Advent by believing him exhaustively, exhaustively. And so that's found in verses 5 through 6. God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And this is why I think that uh, Abram is sitting in his living room and God has come to minister to him is because God has to take him out. God has to take him out. It's interesting that that Abram has been cast down and God wants to lift him up. That Abram has been looking down and God says, I want you to Look up, and he brings him outside. This is like the third time that God brought Abram out. God is always bringing him out. He's always bringing him to a new place. And he says, well, you've been looking at your stuff. You know what I, one of the things I love about this is Abram says, behold, behold, look, look at what I'm going through. Look at what I'm going through. And then God says, okay, all right. I want you to behold something. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And it's as if, as if uh, Abram says, Behold, look at my stuff. And he says, okay. Behold, look at me. Look at me. And my friends, if you are in this holding pattern of looking at your stuff, today is an opportunity to take the word and lift your gaze. God brought him out. And he brought him out. I'm telling you, I really encourage you tonight... I would love for all of us to to do this. If it's possible, you put on your coat with your family. And if uh, you have the yak tracks and there's ice in your neighborhood, then make sure you put the yak tracks on. If you don't know what that is, just go out. You'll be fine. And look up at the stars. Look up at the stars. God has given us a daily constant reminder of how great He is. He he has placed billions of stars in the galaxy. He made them with the power of His word, holds them in their place, and they are great and beautiful day after day just because God is strong. And He's calling you to, He's calling me. To move my eyes off of the financial stuff and move my eyes off of the family trouble and move my eyes off of the stuff I didn't choose, but I have to do and look up. My favorite song, uh, that, one of my favorite songs that Switchfoot does is a song called Stars. And the, the song just says this, look, when I go outside and I'm beneath this canopy of galactic infinite strength, held in its place by the power of the Word of God. And I see stars in their beauty and glory put on display for the majestic name of the living King. And I see how great He is, and I feel my size. The song says it this way, when I look at the stars, feel like myself. How big are you? If you're still saying, hey God, look at this stuff I'm going through, you're probably way too big. And tonight it would be really helpful if you went out between a, beneath a canopy of stars and felt your true size. And more importantly, felt His he is great, he is strong, he has made promises that he is going to keep and maybe he hasn't kept them in a way that you see and maybe you're not holding the fruit in your hands and maybe you're at the place where you've had, had the promise for several years and you still don't have it and you're not sure how long it's going to be till you get the promise, you don't know. If you're in that situation, maybe you're a young mom and you're just like, dude, I don't know if this, I don't know if this season's ever going to end. It's too hard. Maybe you're in a place where uh, this, this Christmas is, is not what you signed up for. Though you have not received the reality of the promise, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Though your arms are yet empty, the word of the Lord can come to you. Though your table this Christmas has an empty place, Behold, the word of the Lord can come to you. Though your eyes do not yet see it, my friend, the word of the Lord can come to you and it can be sufficient and it can lift your gaze from who you are to who He is. So God brought Abram outside and said, listen, if you want to have a night of counting the stars, count away. But I am telling you, Abram, once and for all, this promise that I gave to you, do you see what it said back there in verse 3 and 4? It said, it's going to be a son of your very own. This is another clue about Christmas today. The Messiah is going to come through Abraham, or through Abram, not through Eleazar not through a member of his household. Uh, uh, Abram's not going to have to pick up the pieces and fix God's plan for him. Abram's not going to have to do it in his own strength. By the way, you aren't either. You aren't going to have to pick up the pieces and fix God's plan for him. He's got everything under control as you trust him. And so we honor God at Advent by believing him exhaustively. He brought him outside and showed him the stars. God Believing God exhaustively means that I believe that where I am now is a part of his much bigger plan that will come to full and final completion as I obey him, no matter what I see today. Let me say that again, okay? Believing God exhaustively means that I believe that where I am now is a part of his much bigger plan that will come to full and final completion as I obey Him. No matter what I see today. No matter what I see today. Guys, God is so strong and He is at work. We could, we could continue on and we could look at verses 7. and the, He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur from the Chaldeans to give you this land. We, we could look down at verse 13 and then we could see how how. Abram is a bit of a prophet and talks about how the, the God's people are going to be in Egypt for several years, for 400 years. We could go down to verse 17 and, and see that God is keeping his promise and, and now says to Abram, look at this whole land. In fact, look at verses 19 through 21. If you don't want to look, I'll just read them. In verse, verse 18 through 21, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, there's that collective Singular, again, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And Abram might have said, but God, I've got these promises from you that are that are not fully, they're, they're not here yet. In fact, he might have even said, look, this land, it's occupied now by the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Catamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim. It's currently occupied by the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. And me, I'm a little guy, I'm one guy. How are you ever going to make this come to be? God said, trust me. All this land occupied by these people now, I'm telling you right now, will be occupied by your offspring. Well, how's it going to happen? We could, we could fast forward to God's amazing strength and big picture strength and, and ask how's it going to happen today. We don't know how it's going to happen. Quite frankly, that's a promise that was fulfilled partially and is going to be fulfilled fully in the future where the offspring of Abram have the land that he just talked about, which is a giant, it's just a huge lot of land in the Middle East. They're going to have it. We don't know how. I'm not even going to guess how. But here I can tell you this today. Nothing for all of us, nothing could get our our mind or heart or eyes off of the concept that he's going to do it. Because we are believing God exclusively and we are believing God continuously and we are believing God exhaustively. God is going to keep his promise to his people to deliver that land and it's yet to come. As we go back and finalize things, we're now back in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 6. The one ingredient to honoring God this Advent season is this. Verse 6. Abram believed God. He believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. He believed God. You know what it doesn't say there? It didn't say, and Abram trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It doesn't say that, does it? He p- believed that God would keep the covenant. He be- believed that this seed was going to come. Though he be 85 years old, he believed that God would provide an offspring through him. He believed that God would do this great thing. He believed that that offspring would lead to the lead to the ultimate offspring who would crush the head of the evil one. He believed God that day. And here it said, God counted it to him as righteousness. And that means God uh, acquitted him of all wrongdoing and received him in perfect relationship because Abram believed him. This Christmas season, as we close our message today, just one question. Exclusively continuously, exhaustively, do you believe the Lord? Your hands don't have the fullness of the promise yet. You don't have the fruit yet. Do you believe it? My friends, that is what this Advent season is all about. Believe the Lord. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, we praise you for your goodness to us and what you've done. And we praise you that the seed or the offspring of Abraham indeed was Isaac and indeed came when he was a hundred years old and indeed has led to the ultimate offspring. Jesus Christ, we celebrate Christmas. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thousands of years prior to Jesus being born in Bethlehem, you made promises and covenants that you kept and you keep perfectly. And we rejoice. So help us, Lord, because some of us are going to a place where there's financial strain this week, and we need to continue to believe you. Some of us are going to a place where there is relational family strain, and we need to keep believing you. Some of us this week are fighting battles we didn't sign up for. And we need to continue to believe you, wholeheartedly, in the midst of Advent. Help us with this, even as we celebrate together a very merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.